This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. It is Women's History Month, and we are celebrating it all month long here on Learned It From an 80s Song. Today, we have a very special guest, the Honorable Judge Gloria Coco. Throughout her career, she has pioneered and paved the way for so many women. Judge Coco is the first woman of Italian-American descent to ascend to the bench in the Circuit Court of Cook County in 1991. In 1993, she was the first woman to become president of the Jacinian Society of Lawyers, the first Italian-American Bar Association, which was chartered in 1921. She is an expert in domestic violence and is just one of four judges invited to present at the FBI National Symposium entitled Family Violence, the Impact of Child, Intimate Partner, and Elder Abuse. Judge Coco was raised on the south side of Chicago. She is a first-generation Sicilian immigrant. She attended Mother Macaulay's Liberal Arts High School in 1968. She received a BA from Mundelein College in 1972. While teaching for the Chicago Board of Education, she attended Northern Illinois School of Law. In 1978, Judge Coco was awarded a Juris Doctorate degree from Northern Illinois University. Now, while she loved her day job of working for justice, she felt a nudge to return to the arts. Her love of the arts began at three years old when she learned to do the can-can at Ethel and Gertrude Morgan Dance Studio. While serving as a judge in the Circuit Court of Cook County, Judge Coco pursued her love for the arts by going back to school at Northwestern University, where she graduated summa cum laude, earning her degree in radio, television, film, and theater performance. In June of 2018, she performed her one-woman show, Finding Uncle Alfio, in New York City. She originally performed that piece at the Live Bait Theater, as well as a number of independent Chicago theaters. In 2009, taking the advice of her L.A. agent, she relocated to Los Angeles, presently retaining a Chicago residence as well. She has appeared in television and films, including The Defenders, starring Jim Belushi and Jerry O'Connell. She has co-starred in TV episodes, including Southland and Parks and Recreation. Most recently, she was cast as Tony Tambler, a reoccurring guest star role in Amazon's production of Utopia, written by Gillian Flynn. Gloria is most grateful for her lasting and inspirational encouragement of her mom, Grace Coco. 
We are so fortunate to have Gloria here today with us. And I have to tell you guys how I know her. So there's this little place <laughs> that happens to take up two city blocks in Chicago called East Bank Club. And there was the most spectacular woman in my classes who lifted incredible amounts of weight. When she got walked into class, she was all in. And guess what? That is our guest today. She is all in all the time. And I'm so thrilled to have you here with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'll tell you, Patricia, I will always remember those body pump classes because it healthy body, healthy mind. At least we try to do that, right? But thank Absolutely. you. You're the best teacher in the world. Are you kidding? <laughs> Role model. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's so great to see you many years later and, uh, and, and in this virtual world where uh, we get to be brought together in this way. And I feel so grateful for the virtual platform for that reason. So this is the part of the show where we have the big reveal as to what song from the 80s we're going to be talking about today. So without further ado, Gloria, what is the song that best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today. Can I get a drum roll, please? The Rocky theme, The Eye of the Tiger, Eye of the Tiger, by sung by Survivor. Sung by Survivor. Yes, very good. And that is 1982. So, and you're absolutely correct. It is the Rocky theme song. Uh, for Rocky III. The song was written by Survivor's guitarist, Frankie Sullivan, and keyboardist, Jim Paterik. Now, this song was requested specifically by Sylvester Stallone himself. So this song in 1982 was number one on the Billboard charts for six consecutive weeks. And there is nothing more inspiring than this song. You can just feel the energy behind it. And what an amazing choice, Gloria. What a great choice. Well, you know, I was looking at lyrics of a number of songs and it just fit. It fit with my life story, my life journey, my experiences, who was my seat of inspiration, which I have to tell you was Graziella Maninici Papalardo Coco, my mother. My mother yes. who was born in Sicily and came to this country uh, as an immigrant in 1921. And her journey in life experience, Patricia, is really the roadmap for me and how my life has evolved every step of the way. Wow. So um, can I share that story with you? Yes, please okay. share your well, story with us. My mother was born in a beautiful little town in Sicily called Tricostani, which is three villages down from Mount Etna. And uh, her father died at a very young age, of pneumonia. And my mother's older sister, Carmela, came to the United States and was working in the woolen mills in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and sent back for her the family. So my widowed grandmother was around 40. My mother was seven. And she had a little brother, Freddie, who was four. So they embarked on the USS Sophia in January 19th of 1921, headed to New York City. When they got to Ellis Island, because my grandmother was a widow and walked with a limp, they labeled them LPCs, likely public charges. Uh, and they detained them on Ellis Island for three months 
until the family and the states could come up with some money uh, to post a bond. So they wouldn't more or less come into the country and automatically be on welfare. That was 1921. What happened was about 10 days after they were uh, confined on Ellis Island, my little uncle Freddie uh, was showing little marks on his neck and they sent him to the contagious disease ward. And he died, we found later, of scarlet fever. Mm. And they never told my grandmother, it was like the, the, um, the language barrier, what he died of or what they did with his body. So by the time they were, my mother and my grandmother were released from Ellis Island, it was three months later, and they uh, settled in New York for a while. My mother told the story of when she was like in first grade, she didn't speak the language. Teacher asked her a question. She couldn't answer. She didn't understand. The teacher slapped her across the face. Now, this was 1921. Wow. And, uh, but so be it. Uh, my mother did survive. That eye of that little, let's see, that little cub. Is it a yes. tiger? Okay. So they eventually ended up in uh, Massachusetts, where my aunt was. And uh, my grandmother married a man who had five sons, also from the town, same town in Sicily, Tristani. And my mother at the time going to school was very bright. She was, by that time, had been double promoted twice. Wow. But her older sister, now who had worked in the woolen mills, was now in Chicago and thought it was terrible for my mother to be raised in a family with five sons who are not blood related. So my aunt, 14 years my mother's senior, um, got guardianship of my mother and brought her to Chicago. And my mother still was very just hungry for education. Mm. But it was my aunt's husband. And this was now during the Depression. And uh, my mother was around 11, 12. And he wanted her to quit school and go to work. So he had sent back to Sicily for his sister's birth certificate, Michael's sister's birth certificate, so she could work. And uh, she worked at Nicolay de Vinci's lampshade shop for a dollar a day. And even the Chicago Public School teachers came to visit my uncle and said, don't, please, you don't understand. She's a gifted student. Let her continue. But it was no. And that was it. So my mother married and she married my dad, Samuel Jacoco, who was a young lawyer at the time. And um, then my mother started to have children. And I have two older sisters. I am the youngest. And um, my mother was just a, such an advocate for education. And, I, and she would tell us stories that even during the Depression, she would read her books by candlelight. She was always at the library. So even though she was working, she'd go to the library. In fact, that's where she lived at my father. My dad was in the senior section. She was in the junior section. And then there was chemistry across those crowded rooms. <laughs> Amazing. So anyway, Growing up, my mother was just a real stickler. I remember in high school, Patricia, I got perfect attendance at Mother Macaulay High School. Wow. My mother would make sure I got on the bus and went to school every day. And, um, you know, so I went to Mother Macaulay High School, a graduate of Mundelein College. And um, I remember when I was at Mundelein, I had ideas of going to law school. But my father, who was a gentle, kind, wonderful man, was a product of his generation, very old country Sicilian. And he didn't think education was necessary for a woman because you are going to have, in tradition, get married and have children anyway, right? So that's what the position was. 
between my father and my mother. Education, I have daughters. Why is it necessary? But as the youngest, my mother was, no, she's going to school. So I remember, though, this one conversation when I was in, high, when, when I was in college. Dad, I'm thinking about going to law school. What are you trying to do? Change the course of nature? <laughs> wow. I don't see how that befits you, a woman, law school. Now, this was 1968. <laughs> and at that same time, I had a love of theater. One little thing. When I was three, my mother sent me to the Ethel and Gertrude Morgan Dancing School. So by the time I was 10, Patricia, I had danced on Bozo Circus, Lunchtime Little Theater. I'm dating myself. The Bob and Kay Show. Um, I didn't know, but my mother had that other creative side to her. Mm. So whatever she loved, she saw that her children had that a hundredfold. So anyway... I had to mention that because then what happened was uh, that theater thing sort of never left me. Even though I stopped doing that when I was in high school with Ethel and Gertrude Morgan, I did do theater in high school. And I continued to do theater in college. And then when I was at Mundelein, I wanted to major in it. But, you know, you have to think in the 60s, women did not have the opportunity mm-hmm. or the place that they do mm-hmm. today. It was questioned that you'd want to go to law school. I wanted to major in theater too. And I was told, what are you going to do with a theater degree? Right. Be a teacher, be this, be that, which is all honorable, beautiful professions. But it was that women were supposed to fit no square in a peg hole. You had to stay within the confines and what was mm-hmm. accepted as relevant for you as a woman. To make a long story short, I did become a teacher. And I knew after a couple of years, it was not for me. So here we get into reinventing. And here's the first story. So I went to paralegal school, going to teaching during the day and went to paralegal school at night. And then I thought, why would I be a lawyer's assistant? Be a lawyer yourself. So I applied and I started going to law school at night. So I was teaching during the day. And you learn really fast that, you know, when you're doing that, your studies are number one. So you have to give up fooling around, going out with your friends on the weekend because you have to prepare for class during the week. It's all a part of what's important to you. What are your priorities? Mm-hmm. So anyway, one morning, the 8.30 bell rang at the school and I came in at 8.35. And the principal pulled me in her office and she said, you know, Gloria, I, I don't know why you're doing it. First of all, I understand you're going to school at night, but, you know, we all have responsibilities and you do too. So you're going to have to just roll out of bed a little earlier in the morning. And anyway, how old are you going to be about the time you graduate? Isn't everybody in your class a little younger than you? I mean, by the time you graduate, you're going to be 28. Aren't you supposed to be like 25? So that weekend, I went home like I do every weekend. And uh, your mother would do your wash. And because no one does your wash like your mother. It just comes out fluffier. So we're sitting around the dining room table solving all the problems of the world over a pot of coffee. And I'm like, mom, maybe this law school thing isn't so such a good idea. I mean, I told her the story about being late, Miss, the other principal calling me in and, and, you know, and Miss Ryan said, I'm going to be 28 by the time I graduate. Gloria. Yeah. You're going to be 28 anyway. Why not be 28 and a lawyer? Yes. And it was something 
Patricia, that for the rest of my life, those wise, simple words from a Sicilian immigrant who was deprived of education opportunity every step of the way said to me, and she would always say, education is the one thing in life that once you have it, nobody can take it away from you. Age is irrelevant, Gloria. So I did. I finished law school, passed the bar. I was fortunate enough to get a job as a prosecutor with Cook County State's Attorney's Office. And then I was worked for the Illinois Attorney General for a while, worked for the city of Chicago. And, you know, when you go to a courtroom every day, because I was mainly criminal, you know, the judge there is, that's what you strive. You know, you're goal-oriented. You've got the burn in the belly. And if you listen to your heart and the burn in the belly, it guides you. And once again, I'd say to myself, well, I'm going to be 40, 41 anyway. Why not be 40, 41 and a judge? I stopped going. My days from going to the Eflin Gertrude Morgan Dancing School and being in high school and college place never left me. That was always tugging at my sleeve. And uh, so I was teaching during the day, going to law school at night. And someone told me that there were classes at Second City. Now, this was 1972, 73. And they had them on Tuesday nights. And Del Close, who was legendary there, was teaching at the time. So I went in and I just was hanging out. And, and he says, well, we're very sorry, but we already started the semester. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an audition. See if you fit in. So he got me on the stage. And he had all the guys in the class get on the stage with me. He said, I want you to play a game of red light, green light. So I didn't know it. But when I was waiting to come in, he told the guys, OK, you're stranded on an island and, you're, you know, you're eating coconut and coconut milk and you've had it. And all of a sudden, there's this woman, a naked woman floating in on a raft. <laughs> That's your intention. So now go play a game of red light, green light. So, you know, when you play, you're like, be like, red light. And all of a sudden, <laughs> guys are like, ah. I didn't know what they were doing. Their information. Exactly. Well, I, but it was great. But I realized there are people there to work with him from New York and L.A. And here I'm trying to fit it in. But God bless you. Let me join the group. But, you know, I was pretty intimidated. And, uh, you know. We say this today a lot on your plate. I, I went for about two months and then I stopped. But it was a great experience mm -hmm. just in and of itself. So that theater thing was never leaving me. And even when I was, uh, as a judge, I, I was taking classes. And, and finally, when I was on the bench, I found out that Northwestern had classes in theater at the Chicago campus. So I took one. It was the evening division. I took two. And after the fourth one, my mother's say, my mother was in my ear saying, you know, why don't you go back and get the degree you always wanted to get? Because remember, Sister Mary Holywater was like, oh, honey, what are you going to do with the theater degree? Go right. back. You're on the bench. Go get it. So I went and, you know, you had to sit and take a writing test. It's the eye of the tiger. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the lyrics of that song, one in particular don't lose your grip on the dreams of the past. Mm -hmm. So after the fourth class, I thought I'm going to go back and get the degree I always want to get. Now, it took me 10 years. I was always twice as old as anyone in the class. 
But in 2004, I graduated with a degree. I got to tell you, summa cum laude, because oh I my goodness, not- yes, of course you you did. <laughs> <laughs> in a degree in radio, TV, film, and theater performance from Northwestern. Amazing. And so then I retired from the bench in 07. And uh, and I, 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 what I did when I was on the bench mainly was I was the supervising judge for 10 years of all the domestic violence courts for the city of Chicago. Mm. So you dealt with issues of people and, 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 and relationships, domestic relationships. Not just boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, fathers, daughters, brothers, sisters, the entire gamut of a family and household relationship. And uh, so it made you sensitive to these, of course, these issues that you dealt with in your work. And you bring that to, in every facet of your life, that experience that what you brought there, you know, is a part of you. It's in your bones as is as an actor. You know, you are a conduit for human emotion. That is your job as an actor. For, so when you tell your story, you let others hearing your story identify with it and let it strike a chord with them. So right. for instance, on my mother's deathbed, uh, she wanted us to find what happened to her little brother, Freddie. So they never knew what he died of and what they did with his body. So my mother died in 93. So... About nine, it was two years later. We 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 all worked at it, and we did find that he was buried in a cemetery in a pauper's field in Queens, New York. Oh! And my husband and I went there. Well, I was when I turned fifty. He said, "What do you want for your fiftieth birthday?" I said, "I want to go to New York. I want to stay where I want for as long as I want, and then let's <laughs> rent a car and drive to Queens." So we did, and we went to the cemetery, and they had this big ledger book from nineteen twenty one. Alfil Mananichi, Country of Origin, Sicily, uh, Date of Death, Cause of Death, Scarlet Fever. So they took us to his grave. And here it was a pauper's field. And uh, the people at the cemetery told us, you know, in that time, the children who died in, uh, in, on Ellis Island, the immigration authorities mandated the cemeteries in the New York metropolitan area designate a certain number of plots for the burial of these children. And they were buried in either small pine core of coffins or burlap bags piled on top of each other in threes. They were mass graves. So I remember I asked, well, could I get my uncle uh, a marker? And they were like, well, lady, if we let you do it, we have to let everybody do it. Well, then you're saying, well, in 80 years, how many people have asked you if they could get a marker? So what happened was, they let me get the marker, but then I wrote a play about it. And that play nice. developed into a one-woman show, wow. which I've even done at the cemetery, Maple Grove Cemetery in Queens. And I've done that show at my high school and at, at the Live Bait Theater wow. that was done uh, years ago. So, you know, so you fuse your life experiences mm-hmm. into how you reinvent yourself in life. So my mother going back to this, and when you look at the lyrics of the song, hanging tough, staying hungry, they stack the odds till we take to the street for the kill with the skill to survive. You know, uh, when I was looking at, at songs, Patricia, and I came across this one, and when you shared with me about the theme of this, of your great podcast and how it works and identifies. 
And what also came to my mind was through the ages, through the decades, through generations, what we experience today, we have everything to learn from our ancestors, from your grandparents, from your great-grandparents, from your great-great-grandparents. It's in the DNA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the will of our, of our immigrants, and I think each one of us in our DNA has someone who came from somewhere other than America, yeah. that they had that will to survive, that eye of the tiger to find a better life, to achieve, to reinvent, to keep it alive, to survive. Yes. Um, so we come, all of us, from a terrific gene pool. Yes. So I have to tell you, I, I, I have to thank my mom, Grazia Lemanenici Papalardo Coco, for who I am and what I'm doing today. And for this great opportunity to share this with you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. I mean, I have so many thoughts in my head. And as you were telling your story and um, just, you know, given that it's Women's History Month, I mean, what an incredible role model you had in your mom and how amazing it was that, you know, she didn't get those opportunities, but yet wanted to instill in you every opportunity from dancing to, you know, the world is your oyster. You can do anything you want. Just you got to work hard. You got to study. Right. I mean, that's it feels like. And and it's so impactful. Um, Just your mom giving that message to you and that how you've continued to hear the message throughout time. And like you had said, the gift of our ancestors. Don't let your dreams of the past think they can't be a part of your present or of your future. I'm so grateful for you to share your story of really of perseverance and never, you know, giving up and picking the most appropriate song. I mean, that song is all about perseverance. It's all about, you know, realizing your dreams and working toward them. And I'd love to take this opportunity to uh, look at your strengths, Gloria, because you have so many of them. And I mean, it goes on and on. And I, and I, I think I picked a lot of your top strengths. So I'm using, guys, for those of you, um, I think you've heard in other episodes, I talk about the VIA Strengths Assessment. And these, um, these virtues and actions uh, is really about who you are to your core. We are all unique and we all have these unique character strengths. So I, knowing Gloria from the past and from our conversation and hearing her amazing story, have um, some strengths that I think that will resonate with you and let me know if they do or they don't. So I'm going to spot, what I'm doing is spotting Gloria's strengths. Number one is love of learning. And that comes, you know, that's in the genes. Uh, That is 100% in the genes. And she's, uh, the love of learning is about mastering new skills and bodies of knowledge. And it's really related to curiosity. So being really curious about a lot of different things and, and studying them. So that would be love of learning. And that's under the virtue of wisdom. So you can hear as uh, Gloria speaks, you know, all the wisdom that she does have and how she's really gone through life very present. And, um, and, and I think that wisdom really shines through. Uh, fairness, uh, fairness, I put up there, and that's very care based and justice based. 
It's about moral reasoning, uh, equal opportunity for all. And uh, being, please correct me, uh, Gloria, on this. You are the first Italian American woman female judge. Is that correct? It is correct. In the Circuit Court of Cook County. Yes. Yes. Amazing. At that time, there were judges who were married to Italians that maybe were half, but you're talking about a full-blooded immigrant. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I'm first generation. Yes. I I don't know. It was, uh, what's that? The glass ceiling? How do we break that glass ceiling? It was, it was the time the women were, there were a band of us. It was, it was just coming into that, you know, it was a sense of the sixties. That's why I think it started, but there were seventies, sixties had pioneer women were pioneering the seventies. We were still got some riffraff about it. Mm-hmm. Certain colleagues were not uh, embracing that. In fact, I was involved with the Italian American bar association, the Justinian society of lawyers. And my dad was a, a member he used to take me to the dinners when I was in college and law school. And, you know, I became the first woman president of that association. It was chartered in 1921 and I became the first woman president in 1993. So it, and that was the year your mom passed. In fact, you know what? Yes. My mother passed away and it was was so sweet. She would come to the dinners because I chaired the dinner for years. We'd have like three, 400 people at the dinner and I'd be the MC. You flubbed that word. You mispronounced that word. She would be <laughs> my greatest critic. She was like, did Craig, that was wonderful. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you had an honoree. My honoree was Geraldine Ferraro. She mm. took the main on. And Dennis Freena, God bless his soul, he passed away some years ago. But my mother died in July. And uh, that dinner was in September. Okay. So, he had died like after coming all those years, about three months, yeah. two, three months before the dinner. Well, she must have been so incredibly proud of you. I mean, and looking at, I mean, I'm just thinking about another strength that I put in there, which is um, perseverance. And that goes under courage. Because if you look at it in, in your history and, and women's history, um, you were in there and some, yes, times were changing. But really, um, at that time, you were really continuing to pave the way for other women. In addition to those strengths, because I could go on and on, but I'm just going to touch on a few more. And a lot of this information and research I'm getting through Dr. Nemec's book on uh, the VIA strengths interventions. So then also, I would say zest. So when Gloria would come to my fitness classes, you know, she always came in with the biggest smile and your presence was known. Like I knew I could have my back turned to you and I would know you entered the room, you know, and because of your just, you brought in this amazing energy and you brought in this enthusiasm. And what that is, is called zest. And that's approaching life uh, with excitement and energy. Uh, You never do anything halfway. It's all in all the time. And then finally, um, I would say judgment and critical thinking. And as a judge and as a lawyer, that goes without saying, and you must have exercised that strength on a very regular basis, as well as perspective, which is underneath wisdom as well. The cool thing about perspective 
is the research that, you know, it's, it's about perspective is about providing wise counsel to others and then having a way of looking at the world that makes sense to yourself and to others. So I love to give an action item to our audience because you have given us um, such an incredible story of your history and the women in your life and in particular your mom. And um, I would love for all the women out there to hear a message or an action item from you that you feel is important. Be alive and reinvent. This is a time of reinvention. You know, this pandemic um, has, you know, forced just about everybody to pivot in some way. And it's never too late to continue to reinvent yourself and take classes or, you know, really do what you love and persevere, right? It's being alive, revive, and reinvent. Well said. Well said. So before we go, Gloria, are there any 80s trends that you absolutely loved? Like if we were in your closet in the 80s, you know, what would you be wearing? Oh, gosh. What would we wear? I think, remember we used to layer the look was yes. like long sleeves, but like a shorter, like a cap sleeve, sleeve long sleeves underneath. It was like that layered look. Did you uh, have um, shoulder pads? Did you wear yes. like the dynasty? Oh look? my gosh! Yes, yes. <laughs> everything had the shoulder pads, so you were a V. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I remember I had the velcros, the velcro shoulder pads. Yes, yes. And right. sometimes I'd put two pair in on each side, you know, just to get yes. a little more height. Well, thanks again for being on this episode and for all of your nuggets of uh, wisdom and sharing your family with us. Richard, thank you so much for this opportunity to share the story. I know we all have stories and that's how we grow and we inspire. We get inspired and hopefully we inspire. But thank you because you are the seat of all this inspiration. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to share. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.